Amen. We are so thankful today for our band that has led us in worship and just to be able to focus our attention on God and, and to uh, let him know how much we trust him and, and how, we, how we're confident in him and how he, he's worthy and how much we need him. We're thankful for, uh, for our media staff and, and all those that are making this live stream possible. Uh, there's a lot of work that has gone into it, and we're thankful for, for that opportunity that we have. And we want you to know, Calvary family, that, <clears throat> that we love you, and we want God's love to flow uh, to you through us. And so our pastoral staff is praying for you. We are uh, seeking ways to uh, make contact with you via social media and phone and other ways. And and we'll be uh, sharing information with you and how you can connect with us and how you can uh, let us know of your needs and how we can serve you during this difficult time. We want you to know our staff is here to serve you. Uh, our, our church offices are going to be closed for several days, but, but we're going to be working from home and we're going to be connected and, and we're going to get you the information that you need and, and connect us to each other. We're thankful for for a deacon body that is ready to serve, that is calling on, on people, for our ABF leaders, for group leaders, home fellowship leaders. I, I've seen chat groups, and uh, yesterday I saw a, a chat group of, of a home group that was having Bible study via chat. And then this morning, I know some ABFs met via text, some are meeting via Zoom. And, and so as we're connecting, we're going to give you opportunities, if you're not connected yet, to, to be a part of what God is doing during this, during this time. One of our uh, prayer concerns during this time is, is our missionaries. We have uh, missionaries that we support around the world. And, and specifically this week, I've been thinking of three couples that are very dear to our heart, that have been part of our Calvary family and that are in very difficult situations. Some of them are in, uh, in, in uh, uh, closed countries, and so I won't uh, say their names or their countries, but we have a precious couple that we commissioned uh, not too long ago, and they are serving in Western Europe in, in a country that has been heavily affected uh, by the COVID-19, and, and they are on lockdown. They've been for a week in their home, not being able to go out, and, and we're remembering them in our prayers. We, we have a, a precious family that we also commissioned not too long ago that is serving in South Asia, and there are multiple cases, cases of COVID-19 around them, and they continue to serve, and, 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 uh, and we pray for them. And then there's this other couple and their family who have been serving in East Asia for quite some time, and, and uh, at the end of January, they, uh, they left the country where they serve, and they were attending a missionary conference with, with hundreds of other missionaries, and, and then this outbreak took place, and uh, they weren't able to get back to their home countries. And so they are in this Asian country that has like less than 1% Christian population, and they've been stuck there since, since the end of January, and, and we're in the middle of March, as you know, but during this time, as we've been concerned about them, as we've been praying for them, and we've been in contact with them, they've told us that they've organized themselves, and they've prayed for where they are right now, 
and that people are coming to know Jesus Christ, people from Muslim backgrounds are coming to trust Jesus as their Messiah, as the Son of God, as the Savior and Lord of their lives. And, and they were reminding us of, of about 19 years ago when, when 9-11 took place and, and one of these uh, missionaries was, was back then in a Muslim country and they had to leave and that during that time, God brought many, many Muslims to faith in Jesus Christ. So we know this is not a good thing. The, the virus is not something we desire. We know that, that these are difficult circumstances, but it's good to know that God is moving around the world, bringing people to himself. These unfortunate circumstances have brought about faith and repentance in people. And God's people in Nehemiah's day had also dealt with very difficult circumstances. And, and, uh, and as we have looked at their story and their struggle, we can identify with them. It's sometimes hard to identify with the people that have been in exile and then have come back to find ruins and, and life is not the same as it has been. And, and perhaps during this time, we can begin to just slightly identify with, with people who who are exiled or who are shaken when the world uh, around them has been just shaken and, and how in the midst of that they came to a point of repentance. We talked about that last Sunday in our series. And, and the story of Nehemiah and God's people invites us to enter into their experience of joy into their experience of sorrow and brokenness, into their experience of repentance. And we've said that repentance means a change. It means a change of mind. It means a change of attitude. It means a change of direction. God's people experience incredible change during this time. And, 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 and what a change we've experienced this week. I mean, things have gone gradually different uh, it's not been like a 9-11 uh, experience. It's not been like a tsunami or a flood or a tornado that has hit a certain part of the world and, and things happen in the snap of your fingers and everybody begins to respond. This has been like a slow, gradual change, but a fast one at that. And, and as we find ourselves in the midst of change, we, we think about how God's people face that. Paul David Tripp uh, tweeted a couple of weeks ago, and he says this about confession and repentance. He said, confession and repentance are not a one-time thing, but are designed by God to be the regular rhythm of the Christian life. And as we think about what is going on around us, we, we think about this rhythm that, that we as God's people need to have of, of confession and repentance. So we are uh, in our series on renewal. And as we're looking at the book of Nehemiah and talking about re renewal, we, 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 we are asking what follows repentance? What comes after repentance? Well, let's look at our story. We're in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, and, and, and that's the end of chapter 9, and we're going to uh, touch on chapter 10 today, and uh, we won't have a time to, time to touch chapter 11. Perhaps you can do that on your own or, or with the groups that, that you meet with, but Verse 38 of chapter 9 says, In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. 
we see that the result of people's confession and repentance was obedience. They renewed their commitment to the covenant. They, they got this giant pledge card and, and they signed it. There, there was this commitment card and they checked every single checkbox and, and then they affixed their shield to it as leaders and they committed to, to it as God's people. You, you know, that's so important. Thousands of churches every Sunday meet and they hear God's word and, and, uh, and they gather all around the globe. And I guess we've taken that for granted. We, we've taken that as a given, but uh, as we meet today online, we're still preaching God's word. And, and, uh, and, and, and the point of God's word is not just to hear it, not just to feel good about it, but, but it's to go beyond that. I, I know there's been a lot of memes going around uh, during this week, and, and we need some comic relief, don't we? Memes about toilet paper and, and about church online and, and all kinds of funny things out there. And someone sent me a meme that said, uh, reasons to watch church online. One, you don't have to worry about parking. Two, you can refill your coffee anytime. You can relax in your pajamas. Maybe some of you are in your pajamas, and you can mute the pastor. That's not funny, really. Uh, but but as, you, as you listen to, to, the, to the Word of God, uh, there are many phrases that people use when they hear a good sermon. Some people say, that was a great sermon, Pastor. Uh, other people say, oh, I wish so and so had been here because they really needed to hear that. Or, or they'll say something like, um, I... I, I, when I hear the message, I, it, it makes me feel good inside. And all those responses to God's message are, are great and good, but, but the response that really matters is, is, especially for disciple makers, is when we say, God spoke to me today, and I'm going to do what he told me. I'm going to obey. And that's what happened with God's people on that day. They said, we're God's people, and, and we're going to obey God's word. Jump with me to Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. Uh, the, the first part of the chapter lists all of the names of people that signed this pledge card, this, this renewal of their commitment to obedience. And then in verse 28, it says, the rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. When God's people repented of their sin, they committed to obey God's word in specific areas. In obedience, it's always about being specific. They chose to obey God. They, they voluntarily and wholeheartedly said, we will do this. We are God's people. And because we are God's people, this is what we're going to commit to. And the first thing that we notice is that they committed and they said, we will not be like the others. God's law had forbidden Israel from intermarrying with the peoples around them, from, from intermarrying with the peoples that had settled around the promised land. Now, uh, this was not so much a, a, uh, 
a discrimination policy, a racial discrimination policy, but it was a purity policy. You, you see, the, the people around the people of Israel were people who worshipped other gods and, and who practiced detestable uh, things before God. And, and often when God's people would intermarry with them, instead of bringing those people to the knowledge of the true God, of the living God, instead of bringing those people to live the way that God wants us to live, they would end up worshipping their gods. They would end up practicing their sins. And so they they became like them. And every generation that did so repeated this pattern. Ever since Solomon, since King Solomon and throughout the different generations, as they mixed with the pagan peoples, they became like them. And the point was that God was not like the gods of the pagans. God was a different God. He stood out above all other gods. He was a holy God. He was a true God. He was a living God. And God's people were supposed to be different from the rest of the peoples. And so you see in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 30, it says, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. Now, that may seem like a, a strange thing to us today because uh, there's this commitment for them not to intermarry with other peoples around them. But the commitment had to do with being different. It was a pledge not to intermarry with pagan nations so that they would be get, they continue to be pure in their commitment to God. They were committed to obeying God. They, say, they said, we are God's people. We will not be like the others. And how we need to have that commitment today as God's people. You know, as this is going on, I've told my, uh, my huddle that has met for breakfast up until last, last Tuesday. We may not meet uh, this, this coming week, but, but I told him this feels like a sifting time. It feels like, like it really shows who, who God's people are. I've seen so many great posts on, on Facebook, and, and, uh, and I want to share one with you that, that I thought was especially uh, relevant to our situation. It's from Monday from a young lady that grew up in our church and, and it reads like this, in full transparency, this has felt like utter hysteria and overhype until it didn't. In the midst of all this chaos, I'm being reminded of the fragility of human life, how quickly our frail and sandy foundation of security crumbles, of how our luxurious of a lifestyle the majority of those in my news feeds and social media platforms have lived. Only now we are facing what the mere possibility of food insecurity feels like. Millions in our country and so many more feel like this globally every single day. I pray that we are faced with our luxury, our comfort, our excess, our routines and be uncomfortable. Thankful but sickened. Filled with gratitude as well as horror of our apathy. I pray we look into look deep into the language of our soul and replace our selfish desires to hoard, to protect ourselves and our households with a spirit of humility, of fishes and loaves, of joy in the darkness. Let us mourn with those losing loved ones. Serve those of the most immediate risk and cultivate the love of Jesus in our homes and our neighborhoods. Let us cry with those canceling life events, postponing all they've dreamed of, let us shut our doors with joy instead of grumbling. 
yet open up our hearts, homes, and pantries to those hurting, anxious, hungry, jobless. Let us support those losing paychecks and incomes. Pray for the gospel to shine its brightest as we are reminded of the hope that we have in eternity. The church doors may have closed physically, but let's open up the floodgates of the church now and the coming weeks and months. What a weird moment in time we are experiencing. Let us not panic, but cultivate conversations, creativity, and culture. Let us com comfort those hurting instead of clinging to the loss of our comfort. Let us be faced with our gross humanity of selfishness and choose to be spirit-filled peacemakers and abundance givers. After all, we are so loved by an abundant God. Social distance to protect the health of others. You may never know their name, but seek to wash some feet, to feed the 5,000, to be with what we are above all else called to do, love one another in whatever way possible during this weird time. And I agree, we are God's people. We're called to be different. And we can make a commitment like the people of Nehemiah's day did. We will not be like the others. We will not give in to what the world is doing and how they're responding. In time like, times like these, we, we show who we really are. We show whose we really are. Secondly, we see that God's people said, because we're God's people, we will not be our own masters. You see, God had given uh, the people of Israel the Sabbath. This is the seventh day. He'd given it to the people of Israel as a gift. It was a time for them to rest. It was a time for them to worship God. It was a time to hit the pause button and to say, we're going to focus on God. We're going to reset. But God's people ignored the Sabbath over and over again. God's people continued to, to work seven days a week and, and to do the same things without keeping a day that was set aside as a rhythm of rest and worship. And like all the other commandments, they, they ignore that. So when the people of God acknowledged their disobedience, when, when they came to the change of attitude about it, when they changed to the change of direction toward God, they made a commitment to keep the Sabbath. They say that in verse 31 of Nehemiah 30. It says, when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and we will cancel all debts. See, they would forego these opportunities to make more money. They would forego these opportunities to have higher production. They would go forego these opportunities to have financial advantages. All of the excuses that people give to not pause, to not rest, to not worship, are the excuses that they were willing to lay aside and to say, we are God's people and we will not be our own masters. You see, God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And this was his way of modeling for us how the world is created, how we are designed. And so God's people are supposed to reflect the God of creation in working six days and then pausing the seventh day to rest, to worship, to reset. You see, when, when we rest, we, we live in dependence on God. 
When we don't pause to rest, when, when we don't pause to pray, when we don't pause to worship, what we're really saying is we're in charge. We're in charge. We don't need God. We keep God uh, on the side uh, for case of emergency, but, but, but we're in control. We have our schedules and our agendas and, and our projects and our to-do list, and, and we go and go and go and go, and, and we forget a rhythm of rest and worship. And sometimes God has to stop us because we won't. Sometimes God has to slow us down because we're going too fast. Sometimes God has to interrupt us and remind us to be still and know that he is God. I, I struggle with that. I, I'll be honest with you. It, it, this is one of the areas where I struggle the most to, to have a rhythm of, of rest and worship, to, to let go and, and know that God is in control. You know, if God were to send a meme during this time, uh, someone guessed that he might say something like this, no movies, no concerts, no sporting events, no restaurants, no social gatherings, limited workload. Now that I've cleared your schedule, can we talk now? And maybe that's what God is saying to you and to me right now. When God's people had their history interrupted, they repented, and they decided to obey God's Sabbath provision. They said, we will be God's people. We will not be our own masters. And then thirdly, they said, we will not neglect God's work. See, God had a plan for the provision of temple worship for the priests and the Levites who ministered to the people. And his plan was that God's people would contribute regularly and proportionately to the temple ministry. This was not just an economic measure. This was not just a taxation system. It was an act of worship. It was God's way of teaching his people to honor him so that he would continue to bless them, to depend on him so that they would continue to be prospered. And we see this commitment that they make in Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 32 through 39. It is the longest passage that, that we read today, but, but, but listen to it. It says, we assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. For the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths at the new moon feast, at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops on the, of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds, and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priest ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priest, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees and of our new wine and olive oil. 
and we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, included the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms, where the articles for the sanctuary are for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. You see, the commitment to generosity here included the temple tax, it included the first fruits, and the tithe, which is the 10% of their crops. God's institution of this system of regular and proportionate giving was a gift to the people. It was his design for the worship of the temple to continue. And it has three important principles that, that have been true since, since the law of Moses was established and continue to be true, true wherever God's people are. That, that the giving to the support of God's work is to be proportionate. That's, that's the idea of 10%. It is that it is proportionate to the way that God has blessed us. That if God has, has blessed us abundantly, then we give accordingly. And if, if we're struggling, then, then God uh, asks us to give according to that. It is still an act of faith. It is still a way of saying, God, we trust you. God, we know that you are provider. It is periodic. It, 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 is, it establishes times for us. It's supposed to be a rhythm of giving just as we have a rhythm of rest and worship. And, and so it is spelled out in the law and in other parts of the scripture. And it is to be prioritized. The word first fruits refers to the fact that when, when the people of Israel would have harvest time, the first fruits meant the first of their crops was supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. Their firstborn of their cattle, the firstborn of their children was supposed to be taken to the temple. It was a way of saying, God, you come first. You are number one in our lives. You are our God and we will depend on you. And this principle of God's work being supported by God's people, it goes throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament in multiple places. Paul affirms it in one of the many places in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. He says, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will be made. And we find all these three things that we just mentioned right there. It is proportionate. It is, it is given as a, uh, a periodic way and it is prioritized. See, the people of God made a commitment not to neglect God's work. They said, we are God's people and we will not neglect the temple. We will not neglect the house of God. We will not neglect the work of God. In an experience of joy, sorrow, confession, and repentance, God's people follow through with a commitment to obedience. They wholeheartedly pledge to obey God's commands. And they identified three specific areas where they would do that. Because we're God's people, we will not be like the others. Because we're God's people, 
We will not be our own masters. We will keep the Sabbath. Because we're God's people, we will not neglect the work of God. We will be generous. That you and I are God's people in the New Testament. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by obeying the commandments. We, we don't obey the commandments to earn a good standing with God. You, you see, obedience is very difficult when, when you do it in your own strength. The people of God struggle with obedience. That's why God sent his own son. He came down to earth and he lived a life of perfect obedience, the obedience that you and I could not live. That's why Jesus came to earth. He came to show us and to obey for us. And when he lived a perfect life, then, then he went to the cross to pay for, for all the times that we've disobeyed. For, for the times that, that we broke our fellowship with God, for the times that we hurt ourselves because of our disobedience. He went to the cross and died the death of a criminal. He carried the sins of the whole world on himself and he was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. And he rose with power. Power not just to resurrect from the dead, but power to give us new life. And so as New Testament people, we live by grace because we're not trying harder to obey. We are relying on the power of the resurrection to obey. That means that when we commit to obey, we have the power available to us to follow through with our commitment. And grace always goes further than the law. Grace goes further than the letter of the law. It goes to the spirit of the law. We know because Jesus taught us that, that the letter of the law says do not murder, but the spirit of the law is don't hate your brother or sister. That the letter of the law says do not commit adultery, but, but the spirit of the law is do not lust after anyone. And so in every commandment of God, we look to the spirit of the commandment. So as God's people were told not to intermarry with others. We know that the spirit of the law for us is that we keep ourselves pure, that we, we say we will not be like the others, that we will be a separate people, that we will stand out and demonstrate that we are God's people. I am so thankful for people who have been texting me and messaging me this week. Our young adults contacted us and said, Pastor, we're ready to go to the grocery store for our senior adults. Let us know if anybody needs help. I've had people texting me and say, we have a little extra. Do you know of anyone that has a need? I have deacons that have been checking on widows and people who are homebound. This is how we're different. This is how we show who we really are. That's the spirit of the law for us. And if the law says that we shall rest on the seventh day, that we should keep the Sabbath day holy, we know that the spirit of the law means that we ought to know how to have rhythms of rest and worship. That ought to be a regular thing in our lives. That we need a reset button. That if computers and tablets and phones need to be turned off and restarted sometimes, that we need to pause periodically and let God reset us so that we can honor him. And if the law says that, that we should support God's work with our tithe, then, then we know that, that our commitment can be to be generous with God's work. That the temple was there so that God's name would be known among the nations. That the importance of supporting temple worship was not just so that the people of Israel would have a place to go worship, 
but so that the people around them would know that there is a God in Israel because God, God's heart was for the nations. That has always been his purpose and remains his purpose today. Today, God still desires all nations to come and worship him. And if we're going to obey God, we're going to commit to do all that we can for his name, for his glory to be known among the nations so that he's worshiped. We will pray. We will give. We will connect. We will participate, and if necessary, we will go to where he sends us. That's our commitment until every people group becomes a worshiper of God. That's why we have this opportunity to identify five people around us that we can pray for. That's why we have this opportunity to give online so that the work of God continues. You know, the word viral has changed meanings. No. No one wants a virus in their computer or in their body. But recently, the word viral had, has taken a, a, a positive connotation. Is this idea that, that a video on the internet can go viral because it's shared with people who share it with people who share it with their networks and, and, and suddenly it exponentially gets shared and they have millions of viewers. And our vision here at Calvary is to go viral with the gospel. It is that if five people share the gospel with five people who share with five people who share with five people, that, that in an exponential way during this time, the gospel can be shared with our entire city, our entire country, and around the world. If we're going to obey God, if we're going to be God's people, let us commit to do that. So I ask you today, how has God spoken to you today? How do you need to respond this week? How are you going to obey him? If you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and, and you're scared and you wonder where your eternity uh, lands and, and you wonder where you're going to get the strength to go through this and to obey God's word, the answer is in Jesus he offers you his gift of forgiveness and his power to live a new life when you trust him. When you say, God, I know I've disobeyed you. I know I have failed you. But today, I trust that what you did on the cross of Calvary is enough to cover all my sins, to make me right with you, to give me eternal life, to give me the power to live the way you want me to live. You can pray that prayer right now where you are. And God will hear you. He loves you. He's been waiting for you. And he wants you to trust him right now. He wants to give you his gift of eternal life. Would you pray right now and trust him? And then whether you just pray that prayer right now or you prayed it a long time ago, who are your five? Who are the five people that you need to be praying for, texting, calling, and sharing with during the next several days? In our live page, there is a, a downloadable notes document that I should have told you about at the beginning of our live stream, but you can download it now. And, and it has some questions for you to discuss at home after our live stream, questions that around the table with your family or if you're by yourself, that you can think about 
as you apply God's word. Perhaps these questions can be part of a chat group uh, with those you know. There's nothing more important than to be obedient to God's word. When we hear God's word, we will respond in obedience. So take time to reflect, to discuss, to exchange ideas, and then make a commitment to obey. Remember that we're here to serve you. We're here to pray for you. Allow me to pray for you right now. God, thank you for the time that you've given us during this live stream to be together, to open up your word and to remember who you are and who we are and whose we are. Help us to be obedient to you, not in our own strength, not in our own power, but in the power of your Holy Spirit. May we be the people of God during this difficult time. Bless every home, everyone who has fear, give them peace. Everyone who has a physical material need, give them what they need and mobilize us to connect with each other so that we meet each other's need, needs during this time. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.